Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome to Self-Storage Income, everybody. I am so excited about this podcast because we are getting back down to the basics today. And we're answering a really important question that we get a lot. Um, this is actually a question that we work with a lot of people in the inner circle uh, on, but it's a probably, I don't care if it's YouTube, Instagram, um, this podcast, or any on, any of our means of getting education on the self-storage space out, whether that's my Twitter. This is always the probably the number one question that we get at mass, as in it's probably the number one most asked question. So today, right here, right now, me and Connor are going to talk about it. How's it going, man? It's going awesome, dude. It, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just because uh, you, were, you were on your vacation last week, but it feels like we haven't done a podcast forever. Forever. <laughs> it feels like it's been a long time. How long has uh, it been that we've gone a week without... With not doing a podcast? Uh, over a year, probably. Oh, man. Yeah. It does. Yeah. I mean, it was just one week, but it feels like it <laughs> I was forever. You, <laughs> <laughs> well, I miss you, uh, Yeah, no, it was, uh, no, it was a good week because uh, Kaylee and I actually uh, usurped your podcast. Yeah, we did yeah. a takeover. Yeah. So, uh, no, it, it was it was a super fun episode. We, we dove into uh, the three keys you need to consider when analyzing markets for storage. Really good episode. Uh, just a great breakdown of what you guys need to be looking at. Go check out that episode, just the last one that was published here. So, uh, right before this one. And uh, get at that for sure. But uh, everything's going awesome, man. It, as always, just excited uh, to jump into this topic. This is a question that we got uh, from someone who, who, who's been following you on uh, the podcast and social media and in the self-storage income website, and uh, they were curious you know, how to get into self-storage with no money. And that's, again, like you say, one of the most popular questions that we get and that I feel like a lot of real estate investors in general get where- Yeah, this is like, a universal question. Oh, right, right. Like, I, I just want to get started. How do I, where do I go? What do I do? And I have no money. How do I get it? And, you know, where does it come from? And because obviously real estate's an awesome asset to get into. People want to get into it and uh, start building their wealth. But a lot of people are starting from square one with only a few thousand dollars saved or whatever it might be. And uh, it's a a great question. It feels like a big hurdle because it is. It is a big hurdle. Um, but only a big hurdle mentally. And that's really what I want to get across because, you know, first of all, we really need to understand that this idea of money is abstract. And what I mean by that is the idea that you need more money to, to buy or invest, things like that, that never goes away, right? That's not like a problem that I don't have, right? Mm-hmm. It never goes away. Um, you should be continually growing. You should be continually buying more, building more. So it is a question that needs to be answered now, tomorrow, 
the next day, and forever. That's a really good point. Uh, I mean, hence, you know, Cedar Creek Wealth and everything that we've yep. got going on there, where it's, that is a really, really good point where I think people have that misconception where, oh, if I can just get that one deal and then I can, you know, start doing this stuff and I can just always use my own money and everything else. And then, you know, to a certain degree, you, you can do yeah. that. Yeah. But, but you still got to use a bank, right? right. Or right. you still got to, most people aren't in that position where they just go buy all cash, everything ongoing, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where we really want to get down to then is then how do you do it? Where does this capital come from? Now, let's start at the most basic way, okay? This is how I started. I saved money, right? And then I invested it. Now, I went the hard way. And that's what I realized later on, which blew my mind. Because I could have, you know, I'll get into that in a little bit. But really, at the end of the day, we had sales jobs. We, me, my partner, my father, and we sold insurance. We got paid commissions. We created a firm, and that firm, we got paid commissions from our clients. When we lost clients, we lost money, right? It was never a standardized paycheck. Now, there's good things and bad things with that, of course. Um, but that was the reason I got into real estate was to offset that danger of my income going away um, because it did, did all the time, and that's painful. Um, so I lived on a very, very low percentage of my income because of that. We started investing. So there's always that way. You can go and say, I'm going to try to get a really high-paying job or I'm going to try to create a lot of capital through entrepreneurship, through sales, through whatever it may be. And I'm going to work my brains out and uh, then I'm going to start investing, which basically sums up my entire 20s. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That was it. Work three jobs, traveled months out of the, out of the year. Um, and that is 100% doable. First and first foremost, you have to understand anybody can work really hard to earn more money and then take the leftovers, not allow lifestyle creep to happen. Lifestyle creep, meaning the more money you make, the increase you do on your lifestyle, which is really hard. This is really hard to not do. People don't understand that. They think it's really simple, but it's mostly simple because they don't realize it's happening. They're mm -hmm. not actually looking at their numbers yeah. because lifestyle creep happens whether you like it or not. For the majority of us, we have kids, we get older. Right when you're young and you're in college, it's really easy not to spend money. Right when when I was in college, I went to school. I worked on farms, but my roommate worked at Domino's. At the end of the night, Domino's had all these pizzas that they were no longer they couldn't sell. Right because closed, he would bring boxes of them home, and I would eat pizza. And that's how we lived. Like, I'd eat it the next morning. I'd eat it in the afternoon, right? It was, we just ate pizza all the flipping time. And that was totally fine. It was a great life. Wake up, I'd go turn hay at three the in the dream, morning, dude. right? Go to school, play on the weekends, go whitewater rafting. I, I, I needed nothing to live. Um, but, you know, that was basically in a teenager's mind. Mm -hmm. uh, once you, you, once you change in your lifestyle and things change, lifestyle creep happens. It's natural. It's inevitable. It's not that it should be avoided, but it should be controlled and it should be in ratio to your income. So the goal is to improve your revenues, not simply not live. That's always been my philosophy. Like I, I, I believe in the fire movement, but that I believe 
more that you should allocate your time, effort, resources on learning how capital works and learning, focusing on the revenue function, not the expense. It shouldn't be like, mm-hmm. my goal is to limit myself for my entire life. Right, right. And then live off of that, right? That That's, that's not my philosophy. That's not how I believe. So when looking at this in saying, if you're going to take that mode where you're going to take the spread of your expenses and your revenue, and you're going to invest that spread into assets, which is a great way. I started that way, right? You also need to look at another thing. And this is what was really hard for me. When I made a dollar... Right, I'd I'd go out. So let's say my commissions paid me a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Right, like I had a good year. I made one hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars, and I wanted to invest fifty thousand of my hundred and fifty thousand into a revenue-producing asset. Now, the first thing you have to realize is that I didn't make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I made ninety. Right. 80 because I was taxed at 40 something percent. So it was a pure commissions do- uh, job, cash flow based. I had no depreciation, I had no write offs, right? It just check came in and I had to save half of it for <laughs> yeah, taxes. It. And so <laughs> immediately crazy. I lost money. So that $50,000 that I want to invest, right, is a ginormous sum of money. Mm-hmm. Enormous sum of money, and in reality, wife, kids, we lived on very low expenses. We had a three hundred dollar rental, um, but that didn't matter, right? And I needed to upgrade. We're having more kids. I needed to move up with life, um, so that was really hard. But really, what I'm trying to get down to here is that let's say I invested twenty five thousand. Well, I didn't actually invest twenty five thousand that I had, right? I had whatever the equivalent of that was, let's call it 35,000. So I'm already at a loss investing because of taxes. So in order to invest that $25,000, just to get to break even, I got to make 10,000 off the 25, just to break even. That's not to make money off my investment. I started doing this math and realized, holy crap, this is hard. Mm-hmm. And this is a re- mathematically to compound my money. This becomes very, very difficult now. But that's why you start. You start to get the depreciation. You start to get that move money. And the reason was I didn't have assets. I couldn't refinance, get my money tax free. I didn't get the depreciation off them to lower my tax basis and therefore lower my taxable income. Um, and so I had to do it to get started. But what I'm sharing with you is why it's important when you look at this, though, to look at it in reality. I knew a few things. I need to get a dollar. If I'm investing a dollar, I need to get a dollar because my assets have to perform at a certain way. Now, this kind of discipline and looking at it, though, made me a really good investor because all the investments I looked at had to perform astronomically well. It just wasn't worth my time. Um, But I, I still don't believe it was the best way to do it. Now, let's say... Once again, this is like, great, AJ, you were a sales guy. You had 20 grand. We're talking about people with no money. All I'm using is that example to show a way that you can build into it. Figure out an income plan to build up and make sure your expenses don't lower and allocate it. And that's what I really want to touch on too is is plan. Because a lot of this is like, I want to get in storage tomorrow. I want a facility. 
Dude, what's your plan? Yeah, what's your plan? And then on top of that, it's just this thing that I, I feel like it's beat all the time, but that long-term vision. Like you, you can't just look at storage, read a book, listen to some podcasts, and then think suddenly, you know, tomorrow you're going to have a facility, you're cash flowing, you're, you know, you've got all the benefits of somebody that's been doing it for over a decade. Yeah. Uh, my plan started at 18 and I didn't fully execute it until 26. Mm-hmm. That's how long it took me yeah. to get it right. Now, granted, I'm kind of an idiot, but it well, took me, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it took me that long to figure out in my life opportunities, execution, to learn a trade, right? Mm -hmm. To actually learn something about business stuff. And that's another thing that people think they think and they forget, right? It's like the, the philosophies that I've developed were developed in action and study combined. And this took 15 years, right? In two of the worst recessions our, our, our country's ever seen, <laughs> by too, the way, yeah, no through it. So um, when, the first thing is that you, when you have your plan and you're building it right, you have to just know this is going to take time. It's going to. If it happens in a year, congratulations. That's amazing. Don't expect it, right? Now, the reason why this is also important is because the second route which I believe is a faster route. And obviously, if you're starting with nothing, you say, I can go to the build-up income, lower expenses, but you're, that's, that's a long time, right? You may need to go back to school. You may need to take high-risk jobs. Mm -hmm. You may not be in that position, right? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I got fired because I became paralyzed. You know, maybe I could have never worked in that job again. Um, it, it, you, yeah, I don't know your situation. So the second route is actually a really good route to go. And this is what we're going to talk about. This essentially is the route that I do today. This route is that I focus on finding deals and then utilizing OPM, other people's money. Now, OPM comes in two forms. And this is important to understand. You have investors and you have banks, right? Now, I didn't realize that before I was already using OPM because I was using banks. So then all of a sudden I got to think, well, what's the difference of having investors come along and how's that work? Now, at the end of the day, it was simple. I wanted to do more deals. I wanted to do bigger deals. I had the skills I wanted to be able to, but like we've talked about, didn't have enough money. If you're sitting there and you have no money, right? And you say, I want to do deals. Okay. Well, then you have the two options. You can save and invest, or you can go out and get the money and you get the money through OPM, other people's money. Now you may say, okay, well then you know, yeah, but I don't have a deal. Okay, well, we can't do everything for you. Like, you know, come on here, help us out. We have a whole entire list of podcasts on finding deals. But the, the, the difference is here, when you go to a bank, let's say that you have, um, uh, you need to put down 70, 30, okay? That's traditional in, <clears throat> excuse me, in uh, self-storage, 70% of the deal is the bank's money, okay? So they're loaning on the property. 30% of the deal needs to be that down payment. That is where investors come in. Investors put down the 30% for you. I think this is also really quick, a really good point to make that 
people starting out seem to think that, okay, well, there's a facility for $4 million. Okay, I got to go raise $4 million. Yes, that's not how it works. No, you're exactly right, right? You're combining OPM. You're combining two ways of using other people's money. And by the way, this is how the vast majority of all assets in the world are done. Well, the reason being is, especially in the commercial world, these assets are so expensive. Nobody's doing it on their own. They get rid of that fallacy. Get rid of this idea that you need to. That It's not how it works. That's not how capital works. Um other people need opportunity. In this scenario, what you are is you are an opportunity provider. I'm providing you the opportunity to get into a great investment. Okay. So that 30%, 70%. Now everybody's saying, okay, well, then how do I fit in? Where do I make my money? Now, this is what we call a general partnership. So let's say that you're making a deal, you're putting a let's okay, let's just Keep it simple. A general partnership is broken up into two sides. You have limited partners and you have a general partner. The general partner, this is an LLC. This is the formation of the company. Um, the general partner is the person that controls the deal, right? That would be you. You're the general partner, i.e. you're putting the deal together, okay? I know there's lots more questions coming up. I'm going to get through this and answer is probably a lot of them. The general partnership, though, I am a general partnership in my deal. I put the deal together. I get it all together, everything else, right? And then you can either hire out or you can self-manage the asset, which you receive a management fee. Either way, you have to pay the management fee or you can be the manager, right? So typically, that's 5 to 6% depending on what um, fees the managers are taking. I don't like to take fees. I like to do it a flat um, because I don't like that. That I don't like managers having or er, uh, motives and revenue be ambiguous, right? Mm -hmm. I want it to be very clear and straightforward. Um, I think that's better for everybody. Now, when I look at the limited partners, these are the capital partners, okay? So the limited partners come in and they put money down on this investment. Now, two, let me be very clear. This is one way of doing it. There's lots of ways of structuring it. I'll get on to some others here in a minute. This is my favorite way. Now, you put it together. So let's say that there is a $800,000 facility and you need $250,000 to put into it. You don't have that. But you go get the deal under contract. Then you go write up the numbers and show all your friends and family, look how good of a deal this is. They all say, man, I want in that deal. I get depreciation plus cash, cash flow. And you're like, you're going to make a great compounding return. So they become the LPs. The LPs are the ones that are putting in the money to become that down payment, that 30%. The bank covers the rest. You put in 250000 The bank covers the rest, the leftover of the 800000 You've now put no money into this deal, right? Now, the GP takes a portion of the deal. That can be anywhere from 10 to 40%, depending on your skills, what the investors will do, all sorts of things. Now, let's say, let's call it 30%. You just got 30% of a deal that you put no money into. That's how that formation works. That's how this is set up. Now, generally speaking, 
the general partner doesn't put no money into it. Um, but it happens all the time where they, where they do. So for me, like I'm a general partner, but I'm also limited partners as in I'm a general partner because I put the deal together, but I also invest alongside my limited partner. So I'm putting my own money into the deal. You may not be able to do that at first, which is fine. Now, how this works and how uh, the intricacy right, of the execution of the agreements and everything. This is on a case-by-case -case scenario. You have to work it out and say either your LPA, LPs have no say, maybe they have some say in, in the deal for like larger things like uh, refinance or maybe um, sell of the property. Um, and then you need to outline reports. You need to outline how that's all going to work and that comes into your um, operating agreements for the general partnership. All right. So that is one way that we just kind of walked through. That's how you get your money. That's how the deal is put together. Now you have a deal that you're making, whatever it is, 30% on, even though you had no money. This is how most of it's done. That's a really good point. Really good point for sure. Um, because it, people really do have that concept of, you know, they're just going to do it all on their own. They're they're not gonna have. They're not gonna go out and get investor money. And I don't know if if that uh, is something that has to do with having a fear of oh well I don't want to give up equity or I don't want to give up this or that. And it really goes back to that whole thing. You know, thirty percent or forty percent or whatever, ten percent of a deal is better than no deal. Sitting there saying oh I, I don't have any deals or I can't do anything or you know whatever the the situation is. And again, every situation is going to be different. And then outside of the the monetary benefit that you get from being a part of that initial deal, I think it's really important to to make note of that. You know, let's say you you bring in investors and you make them money, and maybe you don't, maybe you didn't make a ton of money. Maybe you just made the investors money, got their money back, and and maybe some return, and uh, made them happy. And you did all this work with those investors. You did all this work with the banks. You did all the work with the previous owner of the facility or the builder or whoever it was. That reputation that you just built with all those contacts, all those individuals, is worth far That's the more. Value. Yeah, yeah, far more than what your return was on that initial deal. And you nailed it on your first deal. Um, it's important to be understand that investors have to take a risk to go with you, and that risk is tangible. Like that risk is real, and. If you're coming in and you're like, I want 30% of the deal, I want all this stuff, investors are most likely just going to be like, no. Now, that obviously depends on the deal, your background, things like that. I'm just talking about Joe Blow that has no experience in anything mm -hmm. um, because they're going to be scared. They're going to be nervous. So generally what happens is you have to be compensated in experience. So you see lo lower GPs, the investor gets a lower amount. The better he gets, the more he gets. Why? Because it's risk. The real risk in investing is knowledge, right? Like we are compensated well on our deals because of our track record, the deals that we get are home runs, right? Like we put forward deals that normal investors can't do. I mean, we're converting office buildings into self-storage, right? And not even normal ones. We're we're going up against REITs and they can't <laughs> even pull the trigger on some of the stuff. Yeah. So no, it's been pretty we, incredible. Exactly. So when you look at that, you got to realize oh, well, I should just copy whatever split he's getting. Well, you're not that person. So be really self-aware, 
get into it and 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 build it out so the investors are comfortable and it's right. Your one goal is making investors money, and your one goal is to make sure the deal goes smoothly. Um, and you need to be upfront and honest with them, and say, "Listen, this is my first deal. We're gonna do it because of that. I'm taking a lower amount, but I'm gonna work like a dog. I'm gonna make sure everybody's safe." And really, we gotta, we gotta get you some monsters, dude. No, man, this is <laughs> bad. I've been traveling for like two weeks. My body's all kinds of messed up. And uh, so, you know, when I look at it, the the real situation in investing, it, it, it's really simple. You need to be able to communicate to investors why that deal is a good deal. So first of all, you need to work on your presentations. You need to, it's part of sales, right? But also you just need to have a good deal, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. and, and it's amazing to me how people don't think when they're investors are going to ask really good questions and they can't answer them when it's like, you don't have the money. They do. Mm -hmm. They're doing okay. You want to get hundreds of thousands or tens or $50,000 from somebody, they've earned it. And they can take that money anywhere. And they can take it anywhere. And lots of times your investors will know more than you when you're starting out about investing. Don't hide that. Don't pretend that it's not. Be upfront and honest about it. And usually what I think you need to do in those situations is you need to have a KP. A KP is a key person. All right. This is an important one, everybody. So we're going to have to listen to it because this will probably also answer some other questions. The reason a KP is important because in general, you have a good deal. You now have the investors. But is a bank going to give you the money? This is the next hurdle. When the bank looks at you and says, you have no experience, you have no capital for us to go get, you have no assets, the bank may say, this is too much risk for us. We talked about the investors. Now we got to talk about the bank. A key person is a person that will sign on the dotted line for the bank. It'll represent the company. This person generally has experience and a large net worth. You give that person a percentage of equity to do that deal. Now, what you're doing is you're rounding out all the sides that you don't have. Now, you're putting a good deal together. You have a good deal. You get your key person in there. You go to investors and say, look, I got Bob. Bob has experience. Bob has money. He's going to sign on the debt with us. Now, investors are like, oh, great. I'll do the deal now. And banks want to do the deal too. So you're not covering up for your inexperiences. You're not covering up for your lack of knowledge. You're not lying about it. You're being open, honest, and you're addressing the issue and Mm -hmm. solving the problem. Covering those bases. That's all investing is. You're solving problems 24-7, right? I love it. No, that's a really good way to put that, for sure. Because I I think people have a... Obviously, I think a lot of us have a romantic idea of what certain things are like before we really understand them completely. Yes. And this is definitely one of those things where it really is just solving those problems, identifying your 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 strengths, weaknesses, covering those bases. And, um, and uh, again, touching to that, the reputation you're building with that KP, that key person, that subject matter expert is huge because chances are if they know a lot about storage, uh, you know, they've got other deals going on, they've got other facilities, and Who's to say that they're not going to try to bring you in on something else if you're doing a really good job managing or funding or reinvest with you, send their investors to you. You need, like, 
if there's not a window and there's not a door, grab a sledgehammer, rip down the wall. Make it happen. Make it happen, people. Like, And there's nothing. There's nothing in self-storage. There's nothing investing that you can't do. Now, you need to realize the 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 drawbacks, and you have to be realistic about them. And this is not for everybody, right? You need to work your tail off. And you need to do it without being compensated. Because as a GP, as a compensate, you don't get compensated till after. You could be trying to find a deal for a year. You could be working like crazy for a year and not come up with results. This isn't investing. This is entrepreneurship. You don't get paid without results. Mm-hmm. You have to understand that. And if you're not in a, in a position where you want to do that, well, then that's fine. But you can't say it's because you don't have money. You can't say it's because you don't have opportunity, right? You don't find opportunity, you make it. And when you're looking at your structuring, that's what you're doing. You're giving up things to get the deal done, to create the opportunity to make it. Now, another way you could do about this is just do a partnership. Just do an LLC where you do a partnership with friends and family, and you're all equal, you all sign on the line, and then, but they know that they're bringing in the money and you're bringing in the work. It's like the same thing as a general partnership. They're just not limited partners. It's just an LLC where they're partners. Now, I'm going to tell you about my experience and why it took me so long to do this, because there were fallacies that I believed. And this is why I think a lot of people don't do the string out. And, and I think it's always, you know, not always, most of the time, control. I didn't want to lose control, okay? Um, I was good at what I did. And I thought if I brought investors in, first of all, they're going to screw up my deals. They're going to screw up my track record. They're going to screw up all this other stuff. And then it made me really worried that if I have 10 investors and one investor screws things up because of whatever, that all of a sudden I'm losing money or the other nine are having problems, then I gain a bad reputation. So for me, I actually wanted to protect myself against my investors, those very important because I'm like, listen, it, you don't know what you're doing. I do. You cannot take charge. You can't take charge. That's all in the agreements. And that's why I do a GP structure. I'm the general partnership. You're limited. I'm writing on the debt. I'm controlling the asset. I have all the say. The reason I do that is not just to protect me. It's when, you know, when Steve comes in and says, AJ, I want to invest with you. I can put him in with 15 people. And Steve knows that one of those 15 people aren't going to screw up his deal mm-hmm. because he's investing with me, not any of the other limited partners. So I had to make sure that the deal was protected from the investors themselves and that they didn't hurt any of the other investors, um, which is all set up in the docs. They have no control over the asset. They can't sell it. They can't come in and say, hey, AJ, I don't like the colors. You need to change the colors. Like It doesn't matter if you don't like them. You don't mm-hmm. get any say. And that was really, really important in my scenario. Because I'm coming forward with the expertise, right? Now, if you're not, that's why you bring in a key person. You make him a decision maker with you, as in he needs to sign some stuff off. You get somebody you trust and protect yourself against the LPs. Or you just go into business with people that you like. Now, you form an LLC. You get friends and families. You buy it. It's very important to make sure the roles are distinguished, what people can say, what they can't do. And that has to be all done in contracts, Trust doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you trust them. It doesn't matter if you don't trust them. It, trust is irrelevant. If it's not in a contract, it doesn't exist, and it is always subject to change. Everything must be in a contract. 
um, that spells out exactly how this is moving forward. Another thing that you might want to do is, is uh, make sure you have your exit strategy placed out. So when this goes south, how do we get out of it? That has to be in all contracts. The world's not perfect. So what happens, right? When the partnership goes south, when the deal goes south, when I decide to go take a high paying job in New York and I want out of the deal, whatever that is, doesn't matter. The dissolution of the partnership needs to be spelled out in the partnership agreements. This will give you peace of mind and the partners and everybody will know what they're getting into. It'll make you look professional, that you're not just hoping and praying that things go good. Mm -hmm. Nothing looks more amateur than the individual that hasn't addressed the realities of everything going south. <laughs> the deal's rainbows and sunshine. Yes. Dude. There's no way this is going to fail. That is a sure way to <laughs> run away from that deal. Yep. And all the smart money will. So once again, you can save and invest. You can create a general partnership with limited partners. You can create just a regular partnership. All these functions are either accruing capital, investing that capital, or going out and getting capital, investing capital. Now, a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to do it that way. Or I don't like that. Okay, well, then that's fine. Find another way that you can. But at some point, too, you got to realize there are trade-offs here. My trade-off, because I didn't want partners, was me and my father worked two jobs for 15 years. If you don't want to do that, then don't, right? I went to school while working two jobs. I got my master's while doing that. I don't think I'd do that again. That was really hard. And, <laughs> I've had enough. And, I, and there was probably a lot better way and I could have gone a lot faster. But that was the decisions that I made. It benefited me in the way that it did. And I'm fine with it. you got to take trade-offs. And really the reason I made that decision was because I thought I had to give up control to partners, which I learned that I didn't have to do later on. So fit the scenario to your situation, but do what it takes. Build it out how you want it. Nothing will be given to you. Now, the one thing that cures all, we had a sales organization and we used to say, cures, uh, sales cure all problems. Deals cure all problems. As in this, if you bring an incredible deal, everybody wants to be in it. Now, if you go and say, I want investors and they say, well, what's your investing philosophy? What are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do? Where is a deal? I don't have any. I don't know. I've never experienced this. Don't be surprised when they don't want to do a deal with you. Mm-hmm. Go find, build relationships, go find deals, develop an investing strategy and philosophy, be able to communicate that and attract people. Start talking to them, go to meetups, go to things. But the best way to solve it is to get a deal. Get a deal under contract. You'll be amazed how much the money comes. A lot of people don't understand this, right? Like I, we're going out and getting deals under contract and I don't even know where the money's coming from because it doesn't even matter. Mm -hmm. If it's a yeah. good enough deal, I'm going to put all <laughs> the money, the money will just flow in. Right. That is the least of my problems. And that is true. If you have a great deal and you go to an investor, all your local investor groups, you're going to find people that want to put money into it. And that's another thing, just on the mental side of, of things that I was just talking to somebody recently about this, where um, we were having a similar discussion about real estate and, and opportunity and in business and everything else. And um, it's a similar, very similar situation where you know, they didn't have money or want to use their own money for startup capital or anything, and uh, they were just wondering how in, how in the world they would get money and fund you know their venture and whatever whatever it was that they were wanting to do. And I was just talking to them, and I was like, "Well, okay, well, if you put this and this together, and yada yada yada, 
and then you have somebody else's fund it. They're like, well, what do you mean? Like they would just give me all the money to, to start it. It's like, well, yeah, you could just raise hundred percent of the money if you wanted to, if that's, if you didn't want to use any of your own money for whatever reason, you could absolutely raise all of the money from somebody else and they would just give it to you. And you would obviously have obligations and there would be contracts like everything we're talking about. But I think that's one of the misconceptions a lot of people have where that, that, that really haven't been exposed to the world of investing and all of these people that are just chomping at the bit, waiting with money burning a hole in their pocket, just wanting to deploy it to something yes. that, that great that could make a phenomenal return and everything else. There's more people out there that just have money sitting around that they want to invest than I think I understand even, and a lot of yeah. other people even understand. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that just want a good deal. They want a good opportunity. Uh, that there's not a ton of really, really awesome opportunities. Just some people want appreciation. Yeah. Right. Remember when I was talking about all that money that I was losing because I had no write-offs and anything mm -hmm. like that. Some people just need to put money so they don't keep losing money mm -hmm. from taxes. Yeah. Solve people's problems. There you go. And all this money will flow. Yeah. It just does. Yeah. That's how it works. That was really, it just was kind of eye-opening because I'm I'm in this bubble, right, with mm -hmm. everybody that we have here and, and talking to them about it. I'm like, that's that's an interesting thing where people, they, they're just not making that connection that they could just go and people would literally give them money to start yeah. something. Money is to, never uh, your problem. No. Money's infinite. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's so much of it. It's, it's literally never ending. It's just numbers and computers. It can be expanded. It can be contracted at any right. time. Your problem nowadays. is that you <laughs> don't have a good deal. Your problem is you're not solving people's problems. Your problem is you're not communicating it. Uh -huh. Your problem is yep. that you don't have a system set up to deploy it. Exactly. Your problem is that you don't have a deal flow process. There's a hole somewhere. There's a hole somewhere. Find where that hole is and take care of that and the money will come. Yep. Yep. No, hundred percent. And you touched on a little bit of, uh, just the financing and leverage where in the very beginning yes. of this podcast where you were talking about, you know, do you finance the whole thing? There's some people that do, there's some people that don't, where maybe you only have to raise 30% and, uh, you know, the bank finances the 70, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Traditionally, it's done with bank financing. The down payment may vary, but mm -hmm. this is really important because I talked about the 30%, but that's not necessarily true because you can get um, SBA loans, mm -hmm. and that's a way lesser amount down, which will change how much you need to get. So th and this is another thing. All these things are not absolutes. I can go to a bank, and people don't understand this. I can go to a bank, and they can say, here are terms. I'm gonna, I don't like those terms. I want to change. And we'll negotiate for months. Yep. We change all the terms. We change yep. the down payments. We change the payment schedules. 100%. It's literally a contract. And when you're looking at opportunities that are just boilerplate, you have SBA loans that require a very low amount done. Mm -hmm. And we we have a, 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 our partner, Live Oak Bank, who is a sponsor of this podcast, is one of the best in the industry at SBA loans. Mm -hmm. And they will partner with you to get this done. Put a fraction down. And two, I don't even know if they have that special going when they were because of COVID and everything where the U.S. government was letting them do six months 
Like yeah, yeah. So it, it up until crazy. September, where they cover payments and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So they've got they still have that going on right now. It's uh, April of 2021, and they have this going until September 2021. Uh, I'm not sure what point in time you guys are listening to this, but uh, if you guys are listening to this and you're within that time frame, make sure and reach out to them, get after it, and uh, they have some really really awesome specials and, and opportunities going on SBA wise uh, to really get in, uh, like AJ's talking about with very little down and uh, some really, really good incentives and programs to where, you know, they're making certain amounts of payments for you, you know, for a certain number of months and all these other things. Um, it, it's a really, yeah. really good opportunity to get in right now for at, sure. At this time that we're making this podcast currently, financing has never been easier, has never been better. And you can get partners like Live Oak Bank who are literally the best in the business. They understand storage. They mm -hmm. underwrite this all day. They become your partner. Um, but money is easy right now. No, it 100% is. And I wanted to plug your your YouTube video talking about this too, because we just uploaded a, um, a YouTube video you shot last week. You guys need to go check it out because AJ actually talks about financing and, and yes. the, the relationship between financing and leverage within your real estate investment uh, career or path or journey or whatever. Yeah, we dive um, deep into that one, yeah, which no, is really good. Really, really good episode. And I've seen you know people that develop strategies around real estate and everything that is just simple like using um, like technology, because you know our other sponsor for the podcast is which why I even bring this up is is Janus, and they have their no key system, right? And I know people that complete strategy around investing real estate that they're communicating with investors is regard to Janus and their no key strategy. All they're doing is they're saying, listen, we're going to buy a small facility, we're going to come in, we're going to install no key, we're going to upgrade all the technology, we're going to charge fifteen to twenty percent more. After that, mm -hmm. and then you have this you have this huge boost in gross revenue, right? Yeah, that is a that is a strategy that's blowing up and investors love. So think when we think about partners and we're thinking about our even our sponsors, Live Oak Bank and Janus International, who does doors, metals, everything else like that. Go get with our sponsors. Literally, go talk to them. Develop your investing strategy, and and they'll give you materials. I have materials from Janus that can help us communicate that to potential investors. Mm -hmm. Like it's good graphics, all that. We have their link in the show notes, but it's also on our site. Reach out to these people. Investing doesn't happen. Successful investing doesn't happen on an island. You oh, don't need to not. do it yourself. Definitely all these not. things you need to partner up in to solve these problems. Exactly, exactly. Tons of ways to add value with the technology. And, and Janice also has that R3 program that they've got where, I mean, you can yes. upgrade doors and all kinds of different things, uh, which is awesome. And they've got the, the new battery-powered uh, controllers Control that, for, for so you no don't key. have to rewire. Exactly. It's not it's not this huge ordeal, yeah, right? Yeah. It just much fits more, over the door, right? Much more streamlined. Uh, they've got the Noki One Latch out now, which is cool. Uh, we're actually going to be using that on uh, one of our builds going on here, and probably we'll be uh, using that Conversion. on everything else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it'll be nice. Uh, a really cool piece of tech. So uh, and yeah, that that not having to coordinate, you know, wiring over you know, two hundred thousand square feet of storage with. You know, door controllers is great. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, Extra you look at this, yeah. how many options, opportunities that are coming up in the space that you can adapt, mm -hmm. get out there, it, communicating this with banks, investors, they go, man, you have an edge in the market, man, you've got an in, you've got something, you know, once again. When we're talking about if you have no money, you want to get into storage, it's all about solving people's problems. It's not about solving your problem. It's not mm -hmm. about solving your problem that you don't have money. Nobody cares about your problem. 
Nobody cares that you don't have money, right? Nobody thinks that you deserve it inherently. That's not how it works. Forget about that. Start focusing on their problems, solve them, and the money will come. 100%. And then, too, you talked a little bit about deal structure on this podcast, too, which I wanted to plug Lance Peterson's episode over on uh, the AJ Osborne podcast. Yeah. That was a really good episode that you guys did over there that really kind of breaks down and dives a lot deeper into different deal structures where, you know, 70 30, 60 40, like how these, you know, GP LP situations are working. Because this is what Lance does. Like, this yes. is his job. That's like literally what he does. Literally is he formulates a, these right cons- consultant for structuring deals, and uh, this is would be an awesome episode for you guys to go and check out over there. And again, jump on YouTube, check out everything over there if you haven't, and uh, leave us your reviews, your comments, your Please questions. Do. If this was helpful, yeah. guys, give us a five star and a great review. That is our currency, and this this is what helps us. This is how we grow. But we appreciate it, everybody. Thanks so much, guys.